Hello and welcome to Historia Podcast with me, Jack Pettit, and our resident historian, Paul Fletcher. We're episode seven of our Cold War Origin series, and today we're going to be looking at why the Berlin crisis was important for the future of Germany. Fletch, welcome back again. Good morning, Jack. So let's um, go back and just try and paint a picture about how the Berlin crisis developed from or between, I suppose, 48 to 49. Okay, so I think we have to go back to 1945 and the two conferences then. So we've got Yalta and Potsdam. And what they basically both agreed on was that Germany, once it had been defeated, would be divided into four. There would be a sector or a zone for the French, for the Americans, for the British and the Soviets. And it was also agreed that within the Soviet zone, Berlin, which was the capital of Germany, would in turn be divided into four. And again, there'd be a zone for the French, the British, the Americans and the Soviets. Because it's the capital city. Yes, because it's the capital city. And clearly, the uh, the eastern zone would be the zone for the Soviets because they had captured eastern Germany and the west, which had been captured by the British and the Americans. That's why they would get that area. Now, it initially, everyone was concerned with just day-to-day sorting things out, dealing with a defeated country, hunting down Nazis, whatever the case may be. And there wasn't much sympathy, really, for the Germans, even amongst the British and the Americans. Um, You know, they were very, very annoyed and very angry with the Germans because of the fact they started World War II and all that involved. However, it soon became clear, I would say, by 1946, that the West, i.e. the British and the Americans, the French were following in their wake a lot, uh, and then the Soviets in the East, they had fundamentally different uh, viewpoints about the future of Germany, and they were increasingly widening. So on the one hand, you had the Soviet Union, they were looking at Germany as a source of reparations or compensation for the uh, the damage caused by World War II. Um, and in addition to that, Stalin was very clear that he wanted Germany to remain weak. Now, that was either going to be a divided Germany in four sections, or it was going to be a demilitarized, neutral Germany. Really, ideally, he'd like it to be communist, but he accepted he was unlikely to get away with that. So therefore, it had to be a sort of neutral Germany, which would not then have a third go at attacking the Soviet Union. Which is understandable. We are very understandable. On the West, having had um, the Americans had this plan called the Morgenthau Plan, which was like basically keeping uh, Germany almost at some medieval levels uh, of economic activity. Well, that, that very quickly changed. And for the West, they became increasingly interested, the Western powers, I should say, they became increasingly interested in the idea of the Germans becoming economically stronger and um, able to look after themselves. Now, this was uh, of great interest in particular to the British, who were running out of money after World War II. They didn't want to be spending money on keeping uh, Germany afloat. Um, But also both the British and the Americans could see the attraction in the idea of having a a stronger Western Germany that might in the future at some time be an ally. Because, of course, by then, by 1946, the Western powers beginning to see the enemy not being Germany, but the Soviet Union. 
And there were big advantages if they had a strong, vibrant, uh, economically active Western Germany that uh, might then be a useful ally against the Soviet Union. Um, so you start to see in 1946 and into 1947 that this is reflected in a number of issues. There are arguments uh, over reparations and how that's going to work. In 1946, October 46, there were state elections held throughout Germany. So you're beginning to get some sort of local regional governments formed. Uh, the issue again of what's meant by a free and fair election. Um, in the Eastern Bloc, there was definitely not a free and fair election, so the Communists won. And they tried, the Soviets again tried to do that in Germany, and that was successfully fought off. Um, so you've got that sort of controversy over there. You've got controversy and disagreement about exactly what's going to go on with reparations. And this all culminated in, in December 1947, um, the Soviets leaving a big uh, meeting, storming out of a big meeting, being held between the foreign ministers of, of the great powers. Into 1948, well, it's fair to say that the Western powers then set the pace and, and embarked upon what for them was a series of quite understandable actions but from, if you're looking, trying to make the Grand Alliance work, then they weren't the most helpful. So first of all, the Americans and the British decided to put their two um, zones together. They called it Bizonia, um, two. Uh, and then uh, later in the year, in 48, the French then also decided to join in and therefore you get Trizonia, three. Of course, what Stalin saw here was that Stalin saw the Western powers basically trying to create, through the back door, a new West Germany. And he was not happy, because this is exactly the one thing he didn't want. So you got the Soviets therefore leaving, we talked about before about the ACC, this was the body to run all what was going on between the, the zones. Um, well, the, the Soviets left that in protest of what was happening. What was that, March? Yes. Yeah. yeah. March 48. Yeah. So again, clearly, the clearly the uh, Soviet Union was showing its unhappiness with what was going on. Despite all that, the Allies decided to press on. So they therefore announced in April '48 that the Western zones—that's uh, both Western as in West Germany—and also within Berlin, they were going to also be included within the Marshall Plan. So again, this idea of encouraging the separation into two, um, uh, and then in June. 48, they therefore announced, the Western powers then announced that this, this Trizonia was going to have its own currency, the Deutschmark. Um, and of course, with that, you know, I mean, Stalin retaliated by saying the Eastern Zone was uh, going to have its own currency as well, the Ostmark. But what really, really mattered there was that for this, this just seemed to be completely confirming to Stalin that the West was planning on creating a, a, a Western Germany. Uh, which was the one thing he couldn't accept and couldn't tolerate. And so therefore, uh, although previously, earlier in 48, there'd been some interference with traffic into Berlin, uh, sort of showing how unhappy he was, then if, if 24th of June, he went the whole hog and he announced a blockade of Western Berlin, which of course was in the middle of the Eastern sector, the Soviet sector, um, and it was being supplied on land corridors, uh, by the Western powers, and he blockaded that. It was a good old-fashioned siege. 
In other words, an attempt to uh, just stop supplies getting in and therefore be able to get out of it what he wanted. Now, what did he want? Not quite sure. Not, there's some debate about that. Pretty certainly he wanted either one or two things. He either wanted to force the Western powers to stop their plans, as he saw it, to create West Germany, or just force them out. Mm. Because obviously having them there, the Western powers in the middle of the Soviet bloc was very difficult and, and not helpful to him in controlling uh, the, the Soviet bloc. Uh, and so he's hoping that one of those two things would happen um, if he blockaded uh, West Berlin. So he what he literally blocks roads, yep. railways, yep. canals. Yeah, the whole lot, the whole lot. As I say, it's like a medieval siege. Put your army around a castle, and then try to get them to surrender by stopping supplies from going in. So, how did the West react? The Allies can either take it and accept it, or they can, you know, do something about it. And so, what the Allies decided to do, in particular, Truman was very clear that. You know, this is, we talked in an earlier podcast about this being containment, you know, this is containment in action, all right? This is an attempt by the Soviet Union to be aggressive, okay? So therefore you had to contain that aggression, okay? All right? So what they did decide to do was they decided to try to basically, them and the British, they decided to airlift supplies in to keep West Berlin going. And that's what they did. On average, they airlifted in about 4,000 tonnes of supplies a day, something like in that period of time, 275,000 uh, flights came in in total. I think um, the biggest uh, amount brought in in any one month was in January 48, something like 170,000 tonnes of, of, of aid was brought in. And they were basically flying the stuff in and keeping the three sectors going. Um, for and without, nearly a year. For nearly a year. Ten, ten or months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we yeah. we must have had the the three big airports in in West Berlin must have been seeing planes every ninety oh, yeah. seconds, every two minutes. It was going, it was going all the time. Yeah, twenty four hour, twenty four hours a day when the weather permitted. Yeah, got away with it in part because it was quite a gentle winter. That was another thing that helped, and and effectively Stalin, you know, the the siege the siege was was fought off. The siege was broken, of uh, course, because the thing was that Stalin. While he knew that if they tried to go over ground, then, then they wouldn't do that because they wouldn't risk a war. Equally, Stalin knew that if he shot anything down coming in over, over air... Act of war. That would be act of war. And therefore, he would possibly sure. face a... It was a huge military organisation. You know, thinking about how how difficult that must have been. Such a logistical nightmare... And I mean, I think at its height, you mentioned January the most, but I think 16th to 17th of April, we see 1,398 flights in a day in 24 hours. I haven't got an idea of how many of that is every every minute. But, but that's, that's amazing, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And it, was, and it was a clear evidence of both. I mean, the British were also involved in this. The Americans called it Operation Vittles, Vittles being uh, supplies, food. Uh, the British went for the name Operation Plane Fair. In other words, what they were doing was there wasn't any fancy stuff in there to eat, but it, yeah. just the stuff to keep going. Um, and both pa- both powers were clearly committed to containment of communism yeah. and a successful containment of communism. And of course, it was backed up by Truman. Tru- what Truman did was he he, he had based in eastern uh, England a whole uh, group of uh, B-29s 
Um, the B-29s were, in theory, capable of uh, dropping nuclear bombs and reaching Moscow. And of course, the, the, the message there to Stalin was, well, shoot something down, then these will be on their way. Actually, it was all a bluff. What Stalin didn't know was that the B-29s had not actually been converted to carry nuclear weapons. But it was a successful bluff. Yeah. And so therefore, the siege was broken and Stalin was forced to capitulate and call it off in um, in May. Yeah, I mean, it must have been a huge success for the Americans. They must have publicised it like mad. Yeah, I think, I think when we're looking at the sort of consequences of this in a wider sense, I mean, this was a, this was a disaster for Stalin. Yeah. It was an absolute disaster for Stalin. You know, on the one hand, it's a defeat. It's a propaganda victory for the uh, the Allies. Um, secondly, it just merely portrayed Stalin as um, you know an aggressor. It, yeah. it just played into that stereotype. It's a great PR stunt for America. You talk about propaganda victory. I mean, you got stories of American pilots dropping candy yes. in the streets of yeah, West yeah, Berlin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, they look they look great. Yeah, of absolutely course. brilliant. Okay, so let's let's ask let's ask a bigger question here. Um, why was this crisis important then for the future of Germany? Okay, well, traditionally, when one considers this, one considers you know, the, the, its, its role within the Cold War. Um, but I think we're going to talk about that in another podcast when we look at NATO. Uh, so let's just focus, therefore, now just on Germany. Well, it, has a, it had a profound impact on Germany because... Um, Stalin hadn't wanted, Stalin was very keen not to have a sort of Western Germany tied to the NATO alliance. Well, that's exactly what happened. He got exactly what he didn't want. So within uh, a couple of days of the end of the Berlin blockade, West Germany, the three zones were formed into West Germany or the FRG, the Federal Republic of Germany. Um, and that from then on was a clear ally of Western Europe. It would in 1955 be admitted to NATO and so therefore was made into a military power as well. So in retaliation, the Soviet zone was made into its own country, East Germany, okay, or the Democratic Republic of Germany, DRG. Which is quite ironic. Yeah, which is quite ironic. Uh, and, and that division of Germany, Germany was then divided until reunification in 1990. Okay, so a profound impact. And that is still having a profound impact on Germany today because you have the Western Germany, which is very sort of modern, very vibrant, economically strong, Eastern Germany, uh, which is economically backward. And that tension is playing out still within Germany as we speak in, you know, in, in today's times. Um, as far as Berlin was concerned, well, equally Berlin was divided and it would be divided permanently until reunification. Um, and Berlin would act as a permanent reminder of, or a permanent cause of tension, certainly up to the mid-1960s. Um, you get, you obviously get the Berlin ultimatum in 58. You get the building of the Berlin Wall in 61. You get the Checkpoint Charlie incident. Um, you know, so, so Berlin was then, and then beyond that, you then have... Uh, you know, Reagan in the late 90, uh, 1980s talking about, you know, Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. So what Berlin did was it was a sort of permanent reminder of the divisions within Germany and of the Cold War as well. Symbol. A, a, a symbol. A symbol of the Cold yeah, War. Yeah, yeah. And, and for Germany itself on both sides, 
it became the front line. It became the front line of the Cold War. Both countries, massive military presence, both conventional and nuclear weapons, okay, um, which, you know, was a was a very it was a very dangerous in many ways place to live. If the Cold War kicked off in any meaningful sense, Germany was going to be right in the heart of that. So massive American presence, massive British presence, all the, and NATO presence in a wider sense, all the way through uh, right up to the end of the Cold War. Yeah. Right, look, thank you so much. Um, really, really useful, really helpful. Next episode, uh, episode eight, we're going to be looking at, of course, a consequence of the Berlin crisis, which is NATO, and then the division of Europe into two armed military camps, which is followed by the Warsaw Pact. Thanks for listening.